Hello, homeschool friends, and welcome to this episode of the Homeschool High School Podcast from sevensistershomeschool.com and brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. I'm Sabrina, and I'm talking today with Nikki. And we're going to talk about William Shakespeare, and which is co-ops. a really cool yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> and co-ops are cool. And so when you mix Shakespeare and co-ops, you got some pretty cool stuff. Absolutely, positively. Now, I don't know that Shakespeare himself ever actually used the words absolutely or positively in any of his plays. <laughs> but I still think that he would approve because he actually was a fan of making up words. Mm-hmm. So there are a number of words that were not words before Shakespeare wrote them into one of his plays. So I think he would approve. And we are going to make this an absolutely, positively cool podcast about <laughs> studying Shakespeare in your homeschool co-op. One of the fun things for me, being a seventh sister, is listening to you and Kim make up words. You and Kim <laughs> make up words all the time. <laughs> we do tend to do that. Part of that is because we both get ahead of ourselves talking and our tongues get scrozzled. And like scrozzled, for example. And um, yeah, so the word that I mean to come out of my mouth sometimes just doesn't. And and it it turns into a brand new word for the English language. (laughs) Um, Full full of pizzazz. So that's wonderful. Yes. All right. So if you have never done any Shakespeare in your homeschool co-op, or perhaps you've never studied any Shakespeare at all yet in your homeschooling adventures. I hope that today's episode is going to make you feel not only excited about it, but empowered Mm -hmm. to where you feel like you know how to do it and how to have fun with it Mm -hmm. and how to have great learning, but also make a lot of great memories because doing Shakespeare in a group of teenagers, it's a wonderful way to make memories. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, what we want is for our teens to take on some of these big things like Shakespeare that everybody takes so seriously, but do it in a way that's fun. So they actually enjoy it and get something out of it that they will remember. And I I can remember some co-op adventures we had with Shakespeare, like they would act out a scene and oh my gosh, the costumes those kids would come up with. They would definitely take some liberties with, you know, but you're supposed to do that. I mean, there are amazing internationally renowned Shakespearean companies who are taking Shakespeare's play and setting it in some totally different setting and modernizing costumes or music or whatever. And, and it works because his plays are such timeless stories and they're characters that, um, that we recognize. Uh, we we might not, you know, they might not be named Mercutio or, or whatever anymore, but it's a character that we've like, oh yeah, that's the guy who's got the big chip on his shoulder, who's always coming into the room with attitude. And you think, why are you causing problems the moment you walk in the room? Yeah. You know, we, we all know that guy, right? Mm-hmm. And we, when we meet him in one of Shakespeare's plays, uh, it doesn't really matter whether he's wearing tights and a doublet or not, but um you know, he's a good character. Yeah, it, it worked with pots and pans and all kind of kitchen utensils. And- Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm going to be a little bit bossy here, but that's okay because we're your big sisters at sevensistershomeschool.com, right? And when you join us to listen in to the podcast or to read the blog post, you are our seventh sister, but we're a little bit older than you are probably. And so, you know, big sisters can be a little bossy. 
I mean, that's just kind of a thing, right? But once you get to be a certain age like me, you get to be as bossy as you want. Of course, you that I get to be bossy. <laughs> well, I'm going to put on my bossy shoes today because I think that Shakespeare is, is far too often left to the side and um, not explored in high school. Sometimes he's studied but he's not explored and enjoyed the way that he can be and that I think he should be. And so I'm going to first start by reminding everyone that there is not one right way to homeschool high school or to study Shakespeare in high school. So what I'm going to try to do is throw several different ways out there for your consideration in the hopes that one of them will sound like, you know, I think I could try that one. And that sounds like our co-op, maybe Mm -hmm. that's our style. So let's see if we can, um, we'll sort of give a character to each of our co-ops since we're studying, you know, characters in place. So there is the, there is the um, very traditional academic co-op. All right. There is the extremely organic bordering on unschooling Mm -hmm. co-op. Mm-hmm. And then there's the somewhere in between co-op. Yes. And we're going to assume that each of these co-ops meets once a week. Do they get a name? Uh, do they get a name? I think they should have a name. What should we name the, the formal academic co-op? How about Sylvester? <laughs> Sylvester. Sylvester. All right. All right. Sylvester will be our, our formal academic co-op. And our, um, our very organic unschooling-ish co-op will be um, Beatrice. There we go. Beatrice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then our somewhere in between co-op will be Bob. Oh, Bob works very well. What about <laughs> okay. Sylvester, Beatrice, and Bob. Now, let's see. We'll start with Sylvester's co-op. Mm-hmm. So Sylvester's co-op is one where people are comfortable having a textbook in hand. They are accustomed to scope and sequence, to grading rubrics, to um, all of those, all of those pieces of structure Mm -hmm. that help them master different areas of, of learning. And so if they're going to come at Shakespeare, the natural tendency will be to make this very formal Mm -hmm. and probably rather stuffy. And there will be a lot of time spent sort of translating passages of Shakespeare from the Elizabethan English and saying, you know, what, what does this, what does this mean? What does this, and do you understand? And, and um, looking really hard at the mechanics, lots of counting of syllables and finding the accents in the lines, tracking the iambic pentameter and pointing out the rhyming couplets that, that show up here and there. Mm-hmm. And all those things are fine and dandy, but Sylvester's co-op might be tempted to only look mm-hmm. at the form, the structure, and the language. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to bossily recommend that Sylvester get a little bit loose and have a little bit of fun. Mm-hmm. And the way that you can do that, Sylvester, is you can think about why in the world has Shakespeare remained popular for all these years? And the answer is because it's good storytelling, mm-hmm. good stories, good characters. So while they speak in certain ways, and while there is indeed lots of form and structure that can be studied, there also needs to be attention given to the timelessness 
of these stories. So Sylvester's co-op can um, loosen up a little bit by having some fantastic class discussion about the timeless nature of the story. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's harder to do that with Shakespeare's histories than it is to do them with his tragedies and his comedies. Mm-hmm. So while Henry the Fourth is actually a really cool play, that's probably not your best one mm-hmm. to have your class discussion that helps you get in touch with the timelessness of the story. But instead, Sylvester, you and your friends at co-op might want to take something like, oh, I don't know, much ado about nothing. Yes. And you might want to talk about the fact that it's a rom-com. It's a romantic comedy. And there's a reason that those do great at the summer box office, you know, in the movies these days, because people like to laugh at the idea of falling in love. And they like to laugh at all the ways that we make fools out of ourselves when we have a crush on somebody (laughs) or when we find ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, wearing the wrong kind of party clothes. And we feel like a fish out of water. Those kinds of things are all over Much Ado About Nothing. And so if all of your students in your in your Shakespeare class at co-op have read the play and have perhaps watched a production of it, then if you sit around and talk about, so what are the moments in the story that felt like a rom-com that I've seen? Mm. And draw some comparisons to some of the lighthearted, fluffy um, love story movies that mm. have been a part of the students growing up. Finding those points of connection through class discussion, really, really helpful. Yeah. So Sylvester, I hope that's helpful to you. Oh, absolutely. Because Sylvester's so happy and freed up now. <laughs> all right. Now, Beatrice, you're you're a little all over the place. Mm-hmm. And and I'm sure that your organic unschooling-ish co-op is going to have lots of fun reading passages um, from your chosen plays. And acting them out and and wearing pots and pans on your heads or whatever those props and costume pieces are that you have found. Um, But I'm going to encourage you to to dig a little bit into the structure and the format that Sylvester's Co-op is so impressed by. Because here's the deal. Sylvester's Co-op is impressed by it because it's really impressive. It is very impressive. Yes. And we think that it's just um, some uptight Elizabethan thing to write in in verse and all that stuff. But there's actually a lot of really solid reasons for it. So Shakespeare was was producing plays for a company of actors Mm -hmm. and they were a repertory company. And what that means is that you didn't just cast people in a play and hold rehearsals and get ready for the performances of that play. But instead you had several plays, probably four or five at a minimum, Mm-hmm. that were just ready to go at a moment's notice. That's a lot to keep in your brain if you're I one of the actors. can't even imagine. So if it wasn't for iambic pentameter. Yes, indeed. How would you remember your lines? Yeah. Iambic pentameter is this wonderful tool for helping actors memorize and remember their lines. And the rhythm of it, da-dum, 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 da-dum is the closest thing to mimicking natural speech and conversation. Mm -hmm. And it also has just enough of a musical feel to it Mm -hmm. that it is incredibly helpful in getting your lines memorized and and keeping them in your brain. So it's impressive and a really fun activity in a co-op for uh, somebody like Beatrice and her friends is to take something else, work together on a, a piece of dialogue, 
Mm-hmm. All right. A conversation. It could be a real conversation that you just copy down over lunch at your co-op, <laughs> but it could also be a little scene that you and your friends write together. I mean, why not be playwrights if you're going to study a playwright? But then take that dialogue and convert it into iambic pentameter. What words could you change? What phrases could you reword Mm. so that the syllable and accent structure is just like Shakespeare's? What a fun thing to do. You could do that by yourself. And that would be kind of fun. fun. Uh, Oh my goodness. So much more fun to do in a group. Yes. So hopefully Beatrice, you and your co-op will uh, we'll dig into how deeply you can and should appreciate mm-hmm. the structure of Shakespeare's writing. Which brings us to Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. It's so very, it's so very, you know, blended. The no extremes going on here, you know, a little bit of lighthearted, loosey-goosey, creative, inspired fun, and a little bit of, of um, real studious, diligent, you know, academic work. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is embrace that breadth. You have a little bit of everything in your co-op. So why not actually choose a couple of scenes that you are going to seriously produce? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. Once upon a time in our local um, homeschool community, uh, we, we did a one semester Shakespeare performance class. Mm-hmm. And we focused just on one play for mm-hmm. that whole semester. And even with that, to be perfectly honest, it was a little much to ask my 13, 14, 15 year old students to really memorize all of their lines, even though we worked on one play for several months. It was still too much. So what we did is we we hosted a reader's theater production. Marvelous. It was marvelous. Yes, it was, wasn't it? It came off so nicely. And reader's theater is not just sitting around doing a reading of the play, which is a great thing to do, by the way. but it is significantly more preparation and directing than that. And so you, you cast people as characters, whereas oftentimes when you just do a reading of a play, you might not even have the same person read one character. You might just read around the room, you know, and each take a turn, which if you've never tried that, go for it. That's a nice way to dip your toes in. Um, but if you want to move beyond that and actually do a reader's theater production, then you're going to actually cast the show, just like if you were, you know, going to have auditions and, and do it at your community theater. And the, the actors who are assigned to certain characters will really develop their interpretation of that character. They will study them and they'll work on them and they'll think about whether this is a, a character who takes themselves very seriously or whether this is comic relief character or whatever. But they'll really dig into the acting part of it. They just won't have to memorize all those lines. They'll get to read them. Yes. So they'll get performed script in hand. Mm-hmm. And we typically, when we do this in person, we typically put the readers across, the, the actors across the stage on stools. Mm-hmm. And they all wear um, black. Mm-hmm. But each person has a single representative costume piece. So um, many of Shakespeare's plays, whether they are comedies or tragedies, have a a fool character in them because the fool is a a literary device in Shakespeare's plays. And so when we did Twelfth Night, the character that was the fool character just wore a jester's cap with his black pants and shirt. Um, So, you know, people can have a a scarf, they can have a pair of shoes, they can have a jacket, um, anything that sort of indicates, you know, we had a sea captain and, and he had um, he had a, 
a jacket with, you know, the, what do you call it? The stripes on the shoulders, you know? <laughs> um, so it was so, anachronistic, but it was, it was totally. Yes. Yes. Go, go ahead and be anachronistic if you want to. And um, if you are still uh, doing a co-op where you're not meeting in person and you're trying to do things over Zoom, Reader's Theater works beautifully yeah. digital. It's a great way to do a performance um, if you can't all be together or if you're just co-oping long distance because mm -hmm. you don't have enough people in your local community. Mm -hmm. So for Bob and his friends, you've got the real creative types in your group. You've also got the, the more formal and more um, academic minded. Let's let's study this kind of people. And you've got the in-betweeners. You've got all you need to actually put together a reader's theater production. There, I'm done being bossy. You, you did a great job being bossy. That was that was helpful. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, Sabrina, if uh, if there's any study guides that might help the different groups that they could adapt to their co-op setting. Well, you know, it's interesting that you should mention that because I have been enjoying working on creating some study guides for the Seven Sisters Homeschool.com library of uh, curriculum. And so we have coming out very shortly here in 2021, we will have guides for Much Ado About Nothing and for Midsummer Night's Dream and for Hamlet and for King Lear. And all of those study guides will be, well, There'll be seven sister study guides. So they will be avoiding busy work and they will be avoiding overkill and they will be doing everything they can to help the students actually connect with the timelessness of the stories and the characters to find points where they can actually relate to mm -hmm. the story and the playwright who created it. And um, there will also be a little bit of, hey, let's appreciate the form because it is just stinking impressive. But it won't really be hammering on that too hard because we we don't want to intimidate anybody with this stuff. We want to encourage young people to say, this is not my normal reading material. This is not something I typically do on a weekend. Hey, I think I'll watch some productions of some Shakespeare plays. And, you know, there's some kids who do that, but for a lot who don't. Yeah. But we want to open this up and say, you know what, give this a try. Because I think you're going to walk away from it going, that had some very interesting and appealing moments for me. Yeah. If you do that, then you've lit a fire that's going to burn for the rest of their lives. There's going to be an openness mm -hmm. to appreciate. There's going to be a willingness to explore more deeply. And to be perfectly honest, that was my personal experience with Shakespeare. I did not care for Shakespeare that much when I was a teen or when I was an English major in college. And it's because it wasn't really introduced to me in an accessible or appealing way. Yeah. It was put out there as this is hard academic stuff that you have to do in order to prove that you're worthy of being an English major. You know? have a scowl on your face while you're right. Yes. Please look as grumpy as possible. Yes. <laughs> and it was many years later that I discovered, you know, there's a whole lot going on here that I didn't even know was a thing. So my hope is to share that thing with uh, with teens who are meeting the bard for the first time. That's awesome. Yeah. And if they can do it in a co-op, that's way way more fun. I mean, most things are more fun in a, in a co-op, honestly. Yes. But Shakespeare for sure yeah. uh, works very very well in a group learning setting. Whether you are Sylvester, Beatrice, or Bob. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, then I guess we will just leave it there and encourage you to um, explore more about whether it's the Seven Sisters Shakespeare Literature Guides or whether it's um, co-ops in general, whether it's uh, how to start one or how to maintain healthy communication in one or whether it's how to plan for one. Uh, there's so many co-op related posts at sevensistershomeschool.com on the blog. And we, as your big sisters, would love for you to take a look because we think you will find some things there that will empower you to not only dig into Shakespeare with your teens, but also uh, run your co-op in a way that is a blessing to everybody involved, the students and the parents, um, that you could come out of your year with a whole lot of wonderful learning and a whole lot of wonderful relationships. That's, that's what's so cool. One of the things about getting to homeschool high school is you get to, to lean into wonderful relationships, some of which will last a lifetime. So happy co-oping, everybody. And we can invite our Seventh Sisters to join us on Facebook at our Seven Sisters Homeschool, all one word, the number seven Sisters Homeschool Facebook group, where you can ask questions like, what are some fun things you've done in your co-op for Shakespeare studies? Absolutely. Yes, please join us and join the conversation. You know, we just all do well when we learn from each other. It's a way to link arms and make this better for everybody. So with that encouragement, we will leave you and close out this episode, but we invite you to tune in for more episodes in the future at the Homeschool High School podcast from sevensistershomeschool.com and brought to you by the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. Mm -hmm.